All right. Well, good morning. We begin chapter 1, verse 1 of the book of Ruth today. Uh, and I, I did not do an outline. I, I think for this book, we'll probably just do verse by verse and go through it, uh, as it as it reads in the narrative itself. It's such a great narrative, such a great story. Even if it weren't a book of the Bible inspired by the Holy Spirit, it, this is a great story. And the, the thing that uh, helps me get the most out of the book of Ruth is to uh, try to just follow the character stories throughout the book. As is true, I guess, with most, most books um, of this nature. And so maybe that'll be a help to you as we go through it. And you just, I just try to insert myself in their, you know, in their circumstance and empathize with what's going on with each character. And there's a number of characters to deal with. Some of them are, you know, go away very quickly. Elimelech and, and his two sons, they don't last very long. They don't, they don't make it to verse 10, I don't think. So uh, they, they kind of show up and go away. Uh, and then we follow the story of Naomi and Ruth throughout the entire book. So uh, I hope that's a help to you. As we go along, we'll, we'll make our comments and, and hopefully some great discussion. But let's begin by reading in verse 1. And for starters, we'll just read down through verse 5 and then come back and, and begin to, to, to kind of pick apart the story, as it were. So, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of the two sons were Malon and Shelon, the uh, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah, <laughs> and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Shelon died, also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. So we see here uh, right off the bat this introduction of a man named Elimelech. Does anybody know uh, what Elimelech means by any chance? That you know the the Jewish name? Oh, yeah. I got in my Bible. oh no no that, you don't know you're reading that's cheating. <laughs> <laughs> what does your Bible say, Billy? Uh, it says, I can't find it. I think it said, my God is king. Yes, that's it, yeah. Uh, God is king. And, and that's, you know, the Jewish names, they have meaning behind them. Uh, and a, a lot of cultures do that as well. But Elimelech means God is king, which is really start, introduces some irony into our story right off the bat, does it not? Because Elimelech is not really living as if God is king. Now, and I'm not pointing a finger at Elimelech because uh, why does he leave uh, the promised land? The Bible tells us. What caused him to take his family and leave? The famine, right? And I don't think we really appreciate that word famine. Famine is a crisis. And especially in this day, in this age, in this part of the world, when famine strikes, everything shuts down. You know, every, that, that takes the priority, and it occupies our mind. It, it, it brings all kind of uh, thoughts. And on the way here, I was thinking about it. Uh, it was, I got about uh, almost four years ago now, I guess. 
uh, when the tornadoes hit on uh, Easter, Easter week. What was going on at that same time? COVID. COVID. Guess, got, guess what got put on pause? COVID. <laughs> we were, I mean, we were supposed to be wearing masks on the trucks and going on calls and everything and staying separated and all that. And those tornadoes hit and they called us all in and gathered us in lows, no masks, no nothing, shoulder to shoulder. We're, we're making a plan. Why? There were people laying under buildings. <laughs> that, that was more important. And so famine is kind of like that, only extended. It's even worse. And again, we can't really appreciate famine because if, if our crops struggle, what do we do here in America or in, in Tennessee? Well, we just ship stuff in from California or from Mexico or from wherever. I mean, we're, it, for us to go through a, a real, real famine would be different. It's possible, but it'd be difficult. But it changes things. In Elimelech, things got bad enough. And, and we don't know much about Elimelech. In fact, we know almost nothing. But things got bad enough that he left Israel, the promised land, and he journeys into Moab. And we talked about Moab last, last week during the discussion, what a wicked, wicked place it was. But he goes there apparently because they have food. It's nearby, and they have food. And, and, and I don't know, I, in the back of my mind, I kind of feel like he goes there maybe as a temporary solution. Uh, again, we don't know, but maybe he's saying, I'm just going to go, I'm going just far enough. Just far enough to, to get by, and then we'll come back. Um, and he, he, he starts to compromise. And so uh, he makes this move, and apparently things are good enough that he stays and we're given the duration of 10 years. That's what's mentioned here. Now, I don't know how soon he dies after being in Moab, but uh, the duration of, of the time that they're, they're there is about 10 years. So apparently he, he got there, he got settled. Uh, things began to look better. Uh, what did we say about Moab last, last week, if you were here, and the gods of Moab? Extremely wicked. Yeah, extremely wicked. So obviously, there's, there's, and they were a, an accursed people in the Levit Levitical law. Things were bad enough for Elimelech to, I guess, make that compromise. And, and again, before we point a finger, don't think that that can happen to us. And it may not be a, a national tragedy. It may be a, a personal tragedy that leads us to compromise. In fact, that's more so the case. And I, I can remember... Uh, I don't talk about this a lot, but uh, I have a, I had a brother who committed suicide years ago, and he went through a lot of struggles. Some he brought upon himself, and some that he that were brought upon him. And I, but I can remember some conversations, and he was a Christian. There, there's no doubt in my mind he was a Christian based on his entire life, uh, his burden for souls, his soul winning efforts, his giving to mission. Just I. I know that he's in heaven today, but the last few years of his lives were a tragedy. And I can remember conversations of him earnestly wondering and questioning, does God care about the individual? Is God still, I mean, does he intervene? Does it, all these things begin to happen. And so when we read about people like Elimelech and Naomi, before we begin to judge, remember those times in your life. And we all have them from time to time. 
to one degree or another, where compromise begins to work its way in. And that is a slippery, slippery slope. And this is what happens in the life of Elimelech and Naomi. This slow compromise. And very often, when the compromise begins, things will begin to turn. On a, a physical, things will begin to work out. Things will begin to happen. Uh, I, I can't, uh, my brother-in-law is a pastor, and he says, you know, almost every time somebody starts doing great things for God, he said, I can't tell you how many times they come to me and tell me a new job offer shows up. And, and if you watch, that happens a lot. And I think those opportunities for compromise will, will present themselves. And for whatever reason here, Elimelech goes to the point where he, he compromises not just him, but his entire family. And he moves, and I guess what amazes me, not so much the move, but where they move to. When you read about Moab, and he had to know. He had to know about Moab, and, and yet he goes there. And so he goes, and, and the, the situation immediately, I think, got better because they find food, sustenance, a place. And apparently, they, they build a home, and they're accepted. Uh, I guess, you know, their boys were old enough to not worry about the, the gods that we spoke of and the sacrifices that we spoke of last week. And maybe they just got comfortable, so they settle in. But then tragedy turns worse. Uh, running away from tr trouble seldom, if ever, works. Because not long after then, Elimelech dies. And Naomi is left without a husband. And Naomi, not knowing what to do apparently, allows her two boys to marry these Moabite women. Which was, again, strictly forbidden. Now again, we talked about last week uh, God's permissive will and God's directed will. And so often we see that, that things that, that happen outside of God, in other words, God says, do these things, and believers stray from those things, well, God doesn't just automatically strike everybody dead, does he? He has grace, he has mercy, he has patience, thank goodness. But yet there are things that he will bring to pass regardless because they are part of his, his, his directed will. And he, will, he will work through his permissive will to get those things done. And this story illustrates that. And part of that is the marrying off of, of, of these two sons to um, Orpah and Ruth. And when they first marry, again, uh, they're, they're, there's no plans to, to leave Moab and to return. Uh, they are settled, but then tragedy strikes again. And as the narrative tells us, both the sons, uh, I'll say it one more time because I can't pronounce their names well, Malon and Shilon, Chilion, something like that. That's the last time I'm trying that for you. <laughs> they, they both pass away. And so now Ruth is left without a husband, without sons, and two daughter-in-laws, which puts her in the poorest, most desperate class that there is. Because in that society, that means there's no support system. There's no children uh, that, that, that can uh, be descendants to, write, to raise up, to grow crops, to, to provide for food, to provide protection. Uh, she's in a poor, poor class. And she, uh, she I'm, no doubt she's desperate. 
and, and maybe full of regret. Maybe, maybe it was part of Naomi's idea to move to Moab. So, so many times that can happen. Uh, but she's full of regret, and she, now she's in this predicament. And that, that's where we pick the story back up in verse 6. So look with, with me, if you will, in verse 6. And let's read a little bit. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. So stop right there, just verse 6. So Naomi hears that things have changed back home. She's desperate. Uh, She doesn't know what to do in Moab, but she's heard that, and notice the phrasing, that the Lord had visited by bringing bread. In other words, the famine has ended and, and things are growing again. People are eating again. The, the tragedy is over. And Naomi, uh, probably not knowing what else to do, does the right thing. She makes the right decision. Uh, so oftentimes that doesn't happen. And, and she takes action. She says, well, I'm going to go back and I'm going to return to the land of my father. I'm going back to the land of promise. I'm going back to where I am supposed to be. And we're thankful for Naomi's action because so many people will have uh, religious feelings and, they, and that's as far as it goes. Uh, they, they, they think that good feeling or that good impulse is enough and yet it's not because Naomi takes up and she says, no, it's not enough. I, I'm going to go back. I'm going to return. I'm going to go do the thing that I should have done in the first place. And I'm going to stay. I'm going back to the land of promise. And she rises up in verse 7. Therefore, she went out from this place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Now, when I read this, and especially verse 7, it it reads to me, it it seems like when she begins the journey, or at least when she starts to prepare for the journey, maybe, that both Orpah and Ruth intend to go with her. Does that read that way to anybody else? Yeah. And, And so it seems that they're both going to go. Now, again, Orpah and Ruth never have been to the land of Israel. They, they're not, they have no lineage there. They have no relationship there. Uh, they are Moabites. They, are, they were born and raised in Moab. They, they are, are raised in the, the religions of Moab, the gods of Moab. They know nothing of this God of Israel, Yahweh. They've probably heard the stories. Almost every culture, it's interesting, almost every culture uh, had heard of the crossing of the Jordan River when Israel came out of Egypt. When you, and, and it struck fear in, in them. Uh, you know, people try to discredit, discredit that event. But even outside of Scripture, it's documented that cultures heard of that. And whatever happened was so horrific and uh, terrifying that it struck fear in all the other cultures around there. That's one reason that the Israelites were feared and hated. It's not the only reason, but it's one of them. Because they heard what their God did in defeating the the army of Egypt and the crossing of the Jordan River. But Ruth and Orpah have no part of that. Uh, They may have heard the story, but that's it. And so they start out out of sheer loyalty to Naomi to return with her, to stick by her side, this woman who suffered all this loss and all this and gone from tragedy to tragedy and, and, and suffered loss upon loss 
they being good, loyal daughters-in-law. And, and I think that are both of them, Orpah and Ruth. I read that and I read this narrative and I think, man, what heroic women. All, and really all three of them by the story's end. And, and they go and, and as, as with good character traits, they're going to follow their mother-in-law, Ruth, and they're going to go back to this land that they know nothing of. Um. Therefore, verse 7 again, Therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on their way and returned to the land of Judah. And I want to read this, this whole narrative now all the way down through verse 22 that finishes the chapter. And I want you to listen to the conversations that happen between these three women and, and the passion involved, the emotion, and, and the, the, the sorrow and the longing. So beginning in verse 8, and Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old and to have, to, and to have, a, hus or to have a husband. If I should say, I have a if I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, Look to your sister-in-law, has gone back to her people and her gods, return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. If you write in your Bibles, underline that line. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death, parts you and me verse 18 when she saw that she was determined to go with her she stopped speaking to her now the two of them went until they came to bethlehem and it happened when they had come to bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them and the women said is this naomi but she said to them do not call me naomi call me mara for the almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter in law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So here we have these three women, hopeless and not knowing what to do, struggling. 
And they begin to return. And Naomi stops her two daughters-in-law and says, don't do it. Don't make this sacrifice. And no doubt she had to, to say this tearfully. Because these are the only two people she has left. Orpah and Ruth. After all the losses, she, she has these two daughter-in-laws, but she loves them so much, and she sees no hope. Ruth is, or Naomi is without hope. She's come to a point in her life where she sees no deliverance. Understand that. She sees no possible way for deliverance. She thinks her life is over. I, I believe, I firmly believe, she's just going back to Bethlehem to die. Maybe say goodbye to everybody. One last greeting, and then she's just going to do whatever it takes to just wait until death. By the way, she, she refuses to be called Naomi anymore. And she says, call me Mara. Do you know what Mara means? Bitter. Bitter. And, and not that she's bitter, but that all she knows is bitterness. And she doesn't want Orpah and Ruth to have to experience a lifetime of that. They're still young women. She says, go back. I have nothing to give you. I'm too old to take a husband. And even if I worked, if I took a husband tonight and I could bear children, if I could bear sons for you to, to marry, eventually, uh, do you want to wait till you're 40 and then marry a 20-year-old? Or, you know. <laughs> and maybe some of you women looking at me think, well, maybe, you know. <laughs> But, but no, she says, it's too late for me. Go back. There's still time for you. Go back to the house of your mothers and your fathers and, and find husbands among your people. And, and I, wish, I wish you well. I, I, may the Lord bless you with children and prosperity and all these things. But it's not in Israel, girls. It's in Moab for you. Go back. And Orpah, even though she was loyal, is turned back. Not, not, not readily. What, what do they do again before Orpah turns back? They're weeping together. And, and this is not just a little pat on the shoulder cry. I mean, this is, I believe this is clinging to one another, weeping out loud. What, what you women call a good cry. <laughs> I don't understand that. If I'm crying, and I cry, you know, I'm not too big a man to admit that. But if I'm crying, something's wrong. <laughs> I've never had a good one. Have you, Billy? <laughs> God bless you. These women are having a good cry together. And, and, and God love them for it. Because it's painful. And Orpah makes the, church, the choice and she goes back. And again, not pointing any fingers at her. But the difference between Orpah and Ruth, it's not even the loyalty, but it's spiritually. And we learn that in a little bit when Ruth makes her declaration, her prayer, this little poem that she recites. Because Naomi continues with Ruth, and she, and she, she encourages, she implores Ruth, follow Orpah, go with her. She'll find hope, Ruth. I got nothing to offer you. And Ruth says, no, I'm going with you. And she says, where you go, that's where I go. Where you lodge, that's where I lodge. 
Your people will be my people. But then most importantly, and this is the key, and this is why Ruth is chosen. This is why Ruth is in the lineage of Christ. This, this, this pagan from this foreign land who was accursed made this declaration and this choice. And if there's a moment of salvation for Ruth, it's this line that I said underline. And she says, your God will be my God. And she makes the choice. I choose Yahweh. And she had every reason to be afraid of Yahweh, didn't she? Why, why does she know Naomi in the first place? Because they're fleeing the land of their God that was under famine. She's heard of the, uh, of the crossing of Jordan. She's heard of all, uh, all these things. She's not experienced anything of the goodness of God per se. And yet there was something in the stories of Yahweh that attracted, that drew her spiritually. And, and I'm certain being around the gods of Moab helped that. <laughs> but yet she, she determined in her heart that she would follow Naomi's God. She doesn't know anything about it. She doesn't know the book of Leviticus. She doesn't know anything about the Torah. None of that other than what she may have picked up from Elimelech and Naomi, you have to believe that minimal, if any at all, because they're in a life of compromise at the time. But note too, when does this happen? It's when Naomi stops her compromise. Now I can remember churches back in the 70s especially started compromising because we wanted to look more like the world to draw more people in. That was the strategy. And that didn't work. That, that never works. And when Naomi says, enough, I'm done with this. I'm done of myself. I'm done of my own. I'm going back to my land, to the land of Yahweh. And whatever happens, happens. This is when Ruth says, no, I go with you and your God will be my God. And they start the journey. Can you just, can't in, the, in your mind, I, it's like this movie runs in my mind. And I can just picture these two desolate women making this trip from Moab back to Bethlehem. It's not an easy journey. For them, not a short journey. And so, again, keep in mind, Ruth has days, maybe weeks, to, to think about her decision and turn back. And yet, she doesn't, does she? If, if Ruth is anything, she's loyal. But once she chose God, once she chose Yahweh, she went. And she's determined. And, and note the permanence of her decision. She says, verse 17, where you die, I will die, and there be buried. And then she caps it off, the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you. She swears an oath. Ruth, I'm coming. You, you might as well stop. We're go I'm going with you. And I'm choosing your God. And verse 18, when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. In other words, conversation's over. And they go back, and this is when they return to Bethlehem. And can't you just picture the scene? There's Bethlehem, and this bustling in the little town. How do I know it's a little town? Well, there's a song, isn't it? 
No, I'm just <laughs> Old little town of Bethlehem. They, they're coming to that, to that town, that city of Bethlehem, and the women recognize her right away, apparently. It's been 10 years. And, it, and it's not been 10 easy years. You, you remember the picture of Abraham Lincoln when he starts out as president? And the picture just before he dies, after uh, maybe, what, five, six years? Before he, how old he looks? That's got to be Naomi. And yet they still recognize her almost immediately. And they come to her and they're excited that she, and they welcome her back. And they try to call her Naomi. She says, no, call me Mara. And, and note how she said it too. And this, and, and this is so indicative of, uh, indicative of us. That, uh, and, I, and I've lost the verse, but uh, she, she says that, you know, the Lord, uh, verse 21, I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. In other words, this, this is the Lord's doing. Uh, she says the Lord has testified against me. In other words, these things that are happening to me are of the Lord. Now, to be fair, she doesn't say that the Lord is unjust in doing so, does she? I... I don't know that she's accusing the Lord, but she says, in, in, in essence, she says the Lord is sovereign. He's responsible for these things, the good and the bad. And folks, that's not unspiritual. That's not a bad testimony. And she, again, don't judge her too harshly because she's saying those things, but she's doing what? She's doing the right thing. She's taking the right action. I'm okay with her saying the Lord has done these things. The Lord testified against me as long as she's doing what she's doing, which is going back to the Lord. She's not running from the Lord. She's running to the Lord. And folks, that is always the answer. Does she understand these things? No. Is she happy with these things? No. Does she find any hope in these things? No. But yet she knows the right thing is to return to the Lord. And in that, Naomi is as faithful as Ruth. Maybe she wasn't always. But in this moment, she is. And she returns to the Lord and Ruth with her. Desolate, broken, without hope, but doing the right thing. Religion is not about your feelings. Nothing wrong with your feelings. But religion is not about your feelings. Serving Christ is about doing what Christ says do. Follow what the scriptures say to do. And this is what Naomi and Ruth do in this moment. And we end right there for this week. And I want to end right there for this week because we end in a place of desolation, don't we? So far, this is not a fun story. It's horrific. Dwell on that for this week. Think on their condition, not at the end of Ruth. Uh, if you want to read, read ahead to chapter 4, that's fine. But this week, think of them in chapter 1. How are they feeling when they return to Bethlehem? It's not exciting. There's no relief yet. There's no window of hope yet. But they're determined to walk with the Lord from this point forward. Hey, Chris. Yes. In here it says about Naomi being, it uses the word bitter three times. Mm-hmm. Um, in 13, um, you know, my daughters, 
my life is much too bitter to for you to share. Mm -hmm. And then again, Anyways, and then the last one was in 20, Almighty has made me very bitter. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, down in the translation, Naomi urges them to rename her the Mara, you know, because of that bitterness. And then there was another part with how she felt about the feelings, not, you know, when we talk about feelings not really truly being real. No, 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 no. Didn't, didn't say they're not real. But, I, mean, you, I mean, you can feel them, but it doesn't... They're not reliable. Right. They're not reliable. They're not, they shouldn't be what we base our behavior on, is, is, is what I mean to say. Yeah. And so, absolutely, this book is full of feelings that are essential to the narrative. And, to, and well, we're made up of feelings, aren't we? All of us. All of us. Lisa doesn't believe I have them, but I do. They're just buried. They're, they're deep in there, and there's not much range, but they're in there. The, the feelings are important, but we shouldn't base our behaviors upon them. The bitterness, though, and, and uh, you, you read it. I don't remember how you phrased it. But in the, the King James, it, it talks about um, the Lord has dealt bitter with me. So I think it's more than just her feeling. I think her feeling is bitter. I think she feels the bitterness, and I would have too. But she also feels that she's been dealt with bitterly. In, in other words, everything is just bitter. You ever bite something into something that you didn't expect it to be bitter and it was? I think that's the essence of it. It's, it's just, this is just, this is, whether like it or not, this is where I'm at. I'm, I'm in bitterness. And I don't think it's bitterness the way we would use bitterness in that Doug is offended me, so I'm bitter against him now. I don't like him anymore. It's not that, I don't think. I, you know, because again, she's doing the right thing. She's running to the Lord, not away from him. So she's not bitter in the fact of, oh, I don't deserve this and God is mistreating me. It's just my life is just bitter. And that's how she describes it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. And that's where we leave it, in bitterness. I love you. See you next week.